Hey everyone, this is Gideon Fiddleside, Editorial Director of Custom at PR Week. ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance, is probably the thing that's most top of mind for communicators now than almost anything else. So when I was told we were going to be doing a podcast today, basically covering everything you could possibly want to know about ESG, okay, maybe not everything, but almost everything, I was really, really excited. And another reason I was really excited is because I'm joined by two people who I know can deliver on that promise I just made. Katie Coleman, who is the principal of Kivit, Chloe Yosha, who is the Associate Director of Brand Strategy and Insights at Kivit. Katie and Chloe, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I have the, I have the good fortune of hearing Kivit speak about this subject um, at PR Decoded in Chicago a couple months ago. And for those of you who weren't there, and by the way, there was no excuse for you not being there, but okay, I'll let it slide. Don't make that mistake next year. <laughs> but you're going to learn a lot today that the people who were fortunate enough to be there learned. And by the way, if you were there, this is still going to be a good podcast because, you know, I know they didn't cover everything at that, but I think we're going to cover a lot today. And I think our first question is going to be interesting because you might think you know the answer to this. You might not. So, Katie, I'm going to ask you a very simple, but maybe not that simple question. What is ESG? <laughs> Well, thanks, Gideon. You know, as you already teed up, ESG stands for Environment, Social, and Governance. It's basically just the current terminology for how large corporations are measuring their performance, uh, both kind of quantitatively and qualitatively, in a few areas. So the E obviously covers things like a company's sustainability initiatives and more broadly how they are addressing climate change. The S, I think, is a little bit less obvious. The biggest social topic these days is definitely racial equity and how companies are kind of doing their part to chip away at this you know, longstanding systemic generational challenge, uh, both internally at their company as well as externally in the world. And then the G, it's a little bit more mundane, a little bit more boring. Um, it's mostly just about documenting how a company is governed. So detailing the roles and responsibilities of your senior leadership, your board of directors, any committees that might hold responsibility for stewarding the company's kind of financial and substantive future. So, And then, of course, there's a lot of overlap between these buckets, which is something I think we'll talk more about today. Thank you very much for that terrific explanation. Chloe, I'm going to bring you into this now. What's the discrepancy between how the global business world sees ESG and how everyday Americans see it? Well, you know, I think there's a wide discrepancy between how the global business world sees ESG and how everyday Americans see it, or maybe rather don't see it. You know, according to a press release from Bloomberg earlier this year, global ESG-related assets could hit $41 trillion by the end of 2022, really illustrating the importance of ESG in investment strategies. And yet, at the same time, nearly nine out of 10 U.S. adults don't know what the acronym stands for. However, our data definitely shows that Americans are trying to find out. So even though that they even though they don't know what ESG stands for, they're they're searching for what it means. Mm -hmm. Would you think that it's fair to say that a lot of it, it's the younger generation, Gen Z, that is really, really driving a lot of this because I do not think nine out of 10 Gen Zers do not know what ESG stands for. I think that's a fair assumption, to be honest with you. And it kind of gets into something else that I was hoping to talk about today. We looked at a search data. So the headline really being that terminology for our industry is changing. So we used to talk about ESG as corporate social responsibility or CSR. That used to be the common language out there for really many years. But what we started to see is that ESG-related search terms are outpacing CSR 
2021 and then again in 2022. You know, this change happened really fast. In 2021, the only state in the U.S. where search interest in ESG was greater than search interest in CSR was New York, the financial capital of the world. And by 2022, ESG has now surpassed CSR in 37 states. So it's a trend that we think is really going to continue into 2023. And again, what's really interesting is that the search terms themselves add to the point of Americans trying to figure out what ESG is. Two of the top three searches for ESG in 2022 were ESG meaning and what is ESG. And that tells us that while ESG might be more commonly used these days, it's still not necessarily very well understood by the general public, yet there's a clear desire to really understand it better. So I, I think you're right to say that it's this generational change that's driving the track from CSR to now ESG. And, you know, another thing I was right about is what I said in the beginning. Clearly, Chloe and Katie know a lot about ESG. See, I told you that's true, and we have a lot more questions to prove it. So the next one, and Chloe, I'm going to stick with you on this one, is what are the different types of data that Kivit uses with clients that are critical to helping shape their ESG strategies? Yeah, well, we're looking to a lot of different forms of data to, to really help clients drive their ESG strategies. One of them that I just spoke about was the search data. But additionally, social media engagement data really tells us a lot about what ESG-related messaging might be resonating with the general public that doesn't necessarily know what ESG is. You know, we recently took to Facebook as it remains the most popular social media channel, and it's really a crucial platform for any company's digital strategy. And we reviewed over 400 ESG and CSR-focused organic posts from Fortune 500 companies over the past year. Now, of those 400 posts, we then identified what posts and which companies received the highest engagement, which led us to analyze the top 30 most engaged with posts from 20 Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, one thing that really surprised us from the analysis was that some of the top most engaged with posts were not from household names. Gideon, I don't know if you're familiar with Danaher Corporation. Mm, yeah, um, are you trying to embarrass me in public? No, that's okay. I'm actually, no, I'm not. I'm not. Forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. I wasn't before this research either. Uh, Danaher is a global conglomerate that many are probably not familiar with that owns companies that many are probably not familiar with, except for maybe Pantone, if you've ever heard about or seen Color of the Year. But they found a way to top our engagement list with three of the 30 most engaged with posts. And how did they do that? This is where the more qualitative analysis comes into play. And you know, this is a podcast, so I can't show you the posts. So you're, you're going to have to take my word for it. But their posts just really screamed authenticity. They featured personal employee photographs, clearly taken out of the office while on vacation, and testimonials in their own words about the company culture. There's no super polished corporate statement. It's just an employee, their face, and their voice. And the effect was to take a global conglomerate and make it really personal. Now, the number one most engaged with post, which was from Delta Airlines, had a really similar vibe, where Danaher's secret sauce was a base of authenticity and humanization with culture really as a special ingredient. Delta's was made from the same base, but their special ingredient, inspiration. This post features a photo taken by a customer and a story told from their point of view. They had just flown with a female pilot, finishing up her pilot certification, and the customer connected that story to a stat, which I didn't know, that only about 9% of pilots today are women. So without directly saying so, the post allowed Delta to underscore its values in diversifying its workforce and advancing more female pilots. My goodness, if I ever need data on anything, I know who to go to. Jeez. Um, and only 9% female pilots. Huh? That's a problem. But Incredible, right? Yeah. yeah. 
So those are some really, really positive stories there. But you know what? When it comes to ESG on social media, there's also quite a bit of negative reaction. Well, at least sometimes anyway. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. One thing the data very clearly shows is that Facebook posts that include visuals of people are much more likely to be met with love and like interactions than those that are paired with infographics or article links. So again, we're seeing that authenticity, that humanization, really connecting with people. One other social media insight that I think is uh, quite interesting is that sustainability posts, which actually made up about one third of the top 30 most engaged with posts that feature strong specific environmental language such as climate change is real, are more likely to be met with reactions of laughter or anger than those that feature more general language such as this is our sustainability commitment. Thank you so much for that. You know, Katie, I know Chloe's been carrying this a little bit, but I want to bring you back into this. Now. <laughs> so I want to move on to ESG reports. There's a lot of focus right now on ESG reports as the primary vehicle of how companies talk about their ESG agenda. What trends are you finding and how can that be actionable for companies? Yeah, Kivit actually um, conducted a competitive analysis that compared the ESG reports from eight Fortune 500 companies. And you know, our biggest takeaway by far was simply that brands are realigning their ESG reports to speak to more of a consumer audience. Um, and that's a real shift away from a more technical, wonky audience of investors and industry experts and policymakers um, who used to really be the only people reading these things. And we're seeing that shift come through in a few ways. You know, one, the tone and the language are just becoming less technical and more accessible. Uh, two, there's a much greater use of photography, storytelling, infographics, and other content, you know, sort of that sidebar kind of content that is clearly intended to humanize and bring to life what might otherwise be a fairly technical compliance report. And then three, you know, more and more companies are also making a huge effort to bring these reports to life online. So they really used to just be kind of buried on a compliance page. It was just a link to a PDF that you downloaded. But now it's this kind of beautiful web page that they're clearly investing a lot of time building out. And I just think all of that is really aligned with this idea that Chloe already shared, which is that a more humanized ESG message is a more effective ESG message. Those are words that all communicators should live by. That's very good. <laughs> are there other ways that brands are realigning their ESG reports, Katie? Yeah, you know, this one is maybe uh, more tactical in nature, but we actually did this study two years in a row. And one of the things we noticed year over year is that brands were actually changing the very structure of the report itself to be more aligned with a literal ESG structure. Um, so they used to organize these reports more around those CSR values, corporate social responsibility, or maybe around their community development goals or their impact measurements. But now they literally just have three chapters, a chapter on environment, a chapter on social, and a chapter on governance. Um, and that's a change. We think one of the reasons why we're seeing that change is related to some of the, the data that Chloe already shared earlier, which is that ESG as a search term, much more commonly used, but the search is on what is ESG. So it's more commonly used, but not more commonly understood. And so because of that, we think companies are seeing that too. And they're realigning their reports with this literal ESG structure, because it gives them an opportunity to kind of stand up and say, for us, this is what E means. This is what S means. You know, and the last point I'll make on that is just that I think 
the jury is very much still out on whether or not that's a good idea, whether or not that trend will continue. Obviously, the upside is greater clarity on what we all mean when we say ESG. But the downside might be that that structure is pretty rigid, and it makes it a little harder to capture some of the more wide-ranging initiatives that many companies are tackling these days. You know, things like racial equity and climate change don't necessarily fit very neatly into any one bucket. Hmm. Decent segue into the next question, actually, because (laughs) much like in any other area of communications, some do it better than others. (laughs) What are some of the key differentiators for brands that are succeeding with ESG communications as, as, as opposed to those that maybe just aren't? Katie, again, I'll turn over to you for that one. <laughs> well, I'm about to say a word that might make a lot of your listeners cringe. I'm going to use that word authenticity. Um, I know a lot of people use that word. So I'm going to try to explain what I mean by that in this case. Uh, I think you're right that every company is different. Some companies are very serious and buttoned up. Some companies have more of a tongue-in-cheek kind of tone out there. And I think basically your ESG messaging will be authentic if you are being true to your brand, that voice of your brand, but also the substance of the work you actually do in the world. I think the mistake that a lot of companies make is to over contort themselves to be ESG driven in a way that just doesn't make sense for them. Here's a specific example of how that might play out. Let's say you're a healthcare company and you have a ton of great stuff to talk about in both the S and the G buckets. You're doing work in health inequity. You have a great workplace culture. You have a community-based advisory group helping you stay connected to the people you serve. Tons of great content, right? But when it comes to E, maybe you're feeling a little light on content. You know, in this situation, companies sometimes feel pressured to overreach or they feel pressured to say something and therefore they overreach. Um, So they may want that E section to just to be just as substantive as S and G, even though they don't really have it. And maybe what ends up happening is they make that grandiose statement that Chloe already told us the data shows doesn't work, right? They're going out there and saying climate change is real. Um, And our analysis shows, you know, that approach really doesn't work. It's going to be met with some derision. It's going to be met with skepticism. And, you know, while climate change is real, uh, if your company isn't directly working on that and isn't a natural spokesperson for that, your audience is just going to know that it's not authentic. So, you know, maybe a more authentic approach might be for that healthcare company to talk more about social determinants of health, which is a natural overlap between the work they're already doing in S and between E. You know, social determinants of health, if you're not familiar with that expression, uh, has to do with how the built environment impacts a person's health. So if you grow up in a place that's loud and polluted, you're more likely to develop chronic health conditions like diabetes or heart disease. You know, this topic is such a natural fit for the healthcare company because, you know, well, for obvious reasons, but it's also about pollution and the environment. So this is a way for the company to stand up and say, look, we're not going to be chained to these exact categories of E and S because that's not how the real world works all the time. And not only is that message sort of authentic and true, but it's also just, you know, kind of a great opportunity to show some thought leadership in a way that, you know, going back to your original question, really differentiates your brand. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And in the not authenticity, I apologize if anyone heard some dogs barking in the background. (laughs) Those were mine. Um, But I'm authentic. So 2022, (laughs) dogs on podcasts or crying babies on podcasts. 
part of it. So, um, Chloe and Katie, thanks for being good sports about that, as well as everyone else out there. So, I'm going to ask you this final question here, and it's actually one I'm really excited about because, A, you guys have clearly proven you know what you're talking about, and B, it's one I can ask both of you to answer. So, really, what are your predictions in ESG for the year ahead? Not not necessarily who's going to win the Super Bowl, though I wouldn't mind hearing your predictions on that, but we'll talk about that later. Um, your ESG predictions for the year ahead. Chloe, I'm going to let you go first, and then I'll let Katie finish it up. So, Chloe. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, one I think we already said is that ESG is going to officially outpace CSR in search frequency. That's definitely something that that we're predicting for the year ahead. You know, another prediction that I think will be very interesting for, for everyone listening is that I really think ESG is going to become increasingly politicized. You know, we combed through the comments on social media from the most vocal policymakers in each state, and the majority of those policymakers take an anti-ESG position. So as we head into the presidential election cycle, it's possible people's first exposure to ESG will really be through a political and possibly negative lens. However, you know, it's it might not necessarily be directly called ESG, but instead we might see it phrased as woke capitalism or something along those lines. No, um, thank you for that. Unfortunately, it's probably a very good prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Katie, what's the prediction or two that you have? Well, I have one prediction on a more uh, granular level, which is that I think we're going to see more multi-channel campaigns that are promoting ESG content. You know, one thing I kind of mentioned earlier was that these websites are becoming a little bit more built out for consumers. And at the same time, you know, the paid digital advertising that points to that content is is being ramped up. So what does that mean? Well, I think it points to ESG becoming the dominant conversation for both of these audiences. You have the lay consumer audience, um, the voter audience on one end of the spectrum, and then you have the opinion influencers, the policymakers, the industry experts that are also still an important audience for this content. Thank you so much for that. And just broadly speaking, thank you so much for bringing such amazing insights to a topic that has clearly become, if not the most important thing communicators and brands are dealing with, certainly among them. And um, not that anyone needs a prediction from me, but I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. There's a prediction. But another thing that I would predict is I think Kibbit's going to be a really, really important agency to watch out for in this space because as Katie and Chloe have proven, they know what they're talking about in this space now, don't they? So, And, you know, Gideon, before we end here, I just uh, kind of hitting on that point of, uh, of Kibbit being someone to watch in this space, you know, the predictions and insights that we talked about today uh, on the call and then also that we spoke about during uh, the PR Decoded event. We recently just published a report. Uh, it's called ESG Has Gone Mainstream, Now What? And it's also now available on our website at kivit.com slash news. So everyone will be able to read a little bit more about what we discussed today. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting us know that. I appreciate that. Katie and Chloe, I know you're both very busy, so I really appreciate the time you took to speak with me today. I want to thank everyone else out there for tuning in today. Again, I know your time is valuable, but I know you got a lot out of this. But until next time, this is Gideon Fiddles out of PR Week. Wishing you all the best. Have a great day and happy holidays to you and yours. I'll see you all soon.